how I started in show business was that my sister was in a dancing class in Fairview called Omaris School of Tap Dancing. And I went everywhere with the mammy. And uh, we went went down to collect my sister. And the dancing teacher came out and said, Oh, Mrs. D- how are you keeping? Mary's the lovely singer. And my mother says, No, there's a the singer. Oh, does he sing? She, I'm looking for a boy. Singer. So I sung a number for her and she was delighted. Gave my mother, asked me what, what she learned me, Molly, Molly Bond and Brian Oak. So I went home and learned it. Came back and the first stage I put my foot on was the Queen's Theatre in Middle Abbey Street. Which I'm proud to say that I have a photograph in my house of that theatre. And that's how it all started as a, a little boy soprano. Then I joined Garner Street Church Choir. I was a, a member there and that was a great choir. There was all harmony, gentlemen in it and boys and great organist, uh, Vincent O'Brien, who played for John McCormack. And then I, uh, we left there and we went to Inchicore and I joined the Oblate Father's Choir in Inchicore and they had a play called Bits and Pieces and I was in that. Uh, well, I was born in '38, so you can imagine what year that was. That'd be in the in the uh, the the late the late uh, the early '50s would be about right, about the early '50s, and that's how it all started with me. And uh, my dad had his own band, and uh, my father had his own band. And I, I uh, one night I was always a footballer. And I went out, used to be playing football as a goalkeeper. And uh, I was called in off the road to stay. And my father says, you're coming with us tonight. This was, I was about 16. My voice broke at 14 years of age, which a voice does break. And you don't sing till it comes back. So it came back, thank God. And uh, we went, to, I sung with the father's band. I wasn't, I, I knew myself, I wasn't great. So my father's band was the Bob Daly Brookville Serenaders and uh, my name was Kevin, Kevin Daly at that time and uh, I then I joined a federation of musicians and I, I changed my name, why I changed my name because I knew I wasn't a great singer. <laughs> I was, uh, and that's why people were saying he was up there. That's because he's he's up there because that his father owned the band. So I changed my name to Dale King, so you can picture Dale King. Uh, the how I got Dale King was uh, King Kevin, 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 Kevin. I put out the K out of it, and I called myself King. Then Daily, Daily, Dale, Dale King. So that's how I got the name of Dale King, and. Uh, I went around listening to uh, Frankie Blores, John Clark, uh, Brendan Wall, Tommy Nolan, who was a great, I was a great fan of all these people. I went to learn to learn the trade and I used to sit up on the stage looking at these guys, uh, even what stockings they wore, <laughs> you know. I wanted to join an orchestra, which well, I, I did join the orchestra after, was Jimmy Honeyman. Uh, I was the first with a guy called Roland Soper and another guy called Jackie Nelson. Uh, no, my apologies, Jimmy Nel- uh, Jackie uh, Jackie Johnston. And we were nearly the first three singers in the game used to do cabaret in the ballrooms, 
you know. And um, then the, the orchestra was Jimmy Honeyman and his orchestra, and he was going for a vocalist. He, he was changing his vocalist, and he wanted a vocalist. So I went down for the audition, and he says to me, he says, he was a scotch man, he says, laddie, he says, go home and buy some Nacking Cole records and Johnny Ray records and Frankie, Frankie Lane and do some impressions. And I did, because I was a great listener. And I did all that kind of stuff. I went home, bought all these records and started doing impressions. But my idol in life was a guy called the Nolan Sisters. Well, Tommy Tommy Nolan was my idol, but um, what's his name? Uh, uh, Sammy Davis Davis Jr. My idol was Sammy Davis Jr. I learned an awful lot from Sammy Davis Jr. Because I I, I wanted to be a showman more than anything else. And that's, I learned from Sammy Davis Jr. But I used to go down of a Saturday night to hear uh, Tommy Nolan singing in the CIA Hall in Mulver Street with the Royale Swing Tet. And I used to be on a bike outside, freezing cold. And I'd stay there till the end, until it was time to go home. Because I had to be home at a certain time, really. How it starts. So I, I, I then eventually, uh, Jimmy. I, was no- oh, Tommy Nolan was it was 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 a familiar name in those days in in the fifties and sixties, uh, the early fifties. Uh, his wife was Maureen Bresnell, two very top class singers. Some with all the big bands. Actually, uh, his wife Maureen Bresnell, uh, some with my father. You know, because they, they lived in Inchicore. She came from Inchicore. But Maureen, uh, was, oh, she was some singer. But Tommy was an idol of mine. Another singer was a great singer, Tony Barron. Fabulous singer. Fabulous he was. And he still, he I did a show with him a couple of weeks ago. And he was in the band and he was the compere. And he told the audience that this fella used to come along and sit on the stage and watch me. Now we're all watching him. His daughters came, the Nolan sisters. He moved and and left left us over, left us in our. I don't know why he moved, but he went and left to go to England. And next of all, uh, he had some lovely daughters. I've five or six daughters, and they came, the Nolan sisters, and they topped the bill in the London Palladium. They were here, there, and everywhere. They were big hits, and this, that, and the other. And they, were, they were absolutely brilliant. But I was proud to say that I knew the mum and dad. You know, really, really proud. But I joined, I was in the Federation Musicians as a kid. And I, I wasn't a musician, I was a vocalist. But we were still the same union. And uh, I, I, I went, Tommy Hayden and the Artones, which became the Nevada Show Band. I was the lead singer there. And then I left that and went with Jimmy Honeyman because I was really a big band singer. I classed myself as a big band singer. I loved the big band, the big Tommy Dorsey stuff and all this. The Glenn Millers and you name it. Count Basie. Uh, I was a big fan of that kind of music. And I left the show band, went into the Top Hat. And I did very well there. And uh, I enjoyed it. It was a 14-piece orchestra. And Jimmy Honeyman was very kind to me. He was, even when I was a guest artist with his band in the Olympia Ballroom. And then I went from there to the Drake Inn in Fingless, and that was where the name got bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, I used to be out there. I went in there Friday, Saturday and Sunday. And then I wasn't doing good the other night, so I went in there Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday and Wednesday. I was there for a good few years. 
That would the 60s. 60s, you know what I mean, the 60s. Yeah. I was the first man to introduce a, a charity show, which was in the Drake Inn. And I got uh, my great friend, uh, Dickie Rock. He was at the Miami at that time. And we got Dickie. And uh, the owner of the Drake Inn, Mr. Paddy McKiernan, who him and I were great friends. He was uh, the best publican I ever I, I ever met in my life. I met publicans, but he was... He was great. He had an answer for everything. And I told him I had Dickie Rock and he didn't believe me. He said, I don't believe you. <laughs> so he went down to the Miami office and yes, Dickie is appearing on that Monday night. And Dickie did appear. And the next time Dickie Rock came back to the Drake Inn, Paddy McGeeran says, this is great because the Drake Inn was jammed that Monday night. with a big charity show. And a little fat Tony Kenny was on the show. And Tony Kenny was very good to me as a boy, soprano. He gave me a lot of gigs and very good. And uh, uh, De, um, what do you call him? Uh, Ray Productions was there, was on the show as well. And they were my uh, an agent of mine as well. Ted Ray, actually. I couldn't think of his name. Ted Ray. Not the Ted Ray. Oh. You're thinking of the English Ted Ray. No, this is Ted Ray. This is another oh, Ted Ray. No. Uh, he was an agent. And uh, Father Michael Cleary was in the agency. Billy, uh, Billy, uh, not Billy Hughes, uh, Carl Phillips is in it. And Mr. Pussy, who had the privilege of... Uh, then I started my own agency and I had uh, Mr. Pussy uh, on my on my bill, Alan, Alan Ainsby. And I had uh, Mr. Ted, Mr. Mr. Ted, the priest, the old priest show that was on the radio that died. No, do you know the big show that was on the radio? The old priest show. No, not the old priest show. Well, my connection with Dermot Morgan, that uh, Dermot came on the scene and Dermot had a great little cabaret spot and uh, I got the privilege of getting them bookings because uh, actually it was through Alan Amesley and they were doing a show together in a theatre in town and... Uh, we went to the show, or I went to the show because I had to be there. And Dermot Morgan uh, asked me to get a few gigs. I did, and he did okay. But he he was kind of over the people's people's head. He, to my thing, he was a television man, more so late. He was always on the late late show and this that the other. You know what I mean? But uh, he was. That was my connection. Father Trent, he was. Father, that's right, Father Trent, yeah. But that was, well, that was my connection with Dermot Moore. He was in the Drake Inn uh, and Guy Mitchell. Guy Mitchell, I got very pally with Guy Mitchell. Guy Mitchell, uh, uh, I, I, he, he was, God love him, heavy on the, on the drink. And at that stage, so was I. You know what I mean? So I used to be his kind of a drinking partner when I was up talking to him you know what I mean up with him I used to go up and do a few shows up there I wasn't in the Drake at that time when I left the Drake in they had to do something to fill the place and bring in these big stars I, when I was there I didn't need these big stars <laughs> you know what I mean because I, I, I did uh, from the people I, it was a one man show but I used the, the audience they got up and sung but the stage was uh, six foot high the stage was, and there was a four foot of a railings, and the people steps up to the stage, and at the end of the night, which is the biggest part of the night, and people used to come down, as I say, from the mountains to see me doing this part of the act. It was the finale of the show. I used to clear that stage, and it was a ten foot of a drop, and I used to clear it and do the splits. Uh, I wouldn't try. I couldn't even jump off a three foot wall. Now I, I, I get weak. 
But I used to clear that stage. I did that when, when I was up when I was on stage. I'd do anything for applause, anything. Yeah. You know what I mean? I lifted a man one night. He was a German, and he was twenty six stone. I was only a little skinny guy, and I lifted him up on my shoulders. I got applause. I, I all I wanted was applause, and I did that. You know, I wasn't the greatest singer of all times, but I classed myself an entertainer, a, a showman. You know what I mean? I'd do anything to get applause. Anything. I'd uh, used to do some funny things on stage, which would come to my head all of a sudden. Yeah. You know what I mean? But 26 stone, I lifted that guy up. And the organist behind me was afraid that he's going to fall back on the organ. And we would no organ for a week then after that. <laughs> you know, that was gospel truth. Well, if I if I turned uh, turned left or right, I got applause on the stage. It's true as God. That's no messing. I got applause on the minute I turned around, people would applause me. You know what I mean? The big performers. Well, you know what I mean. No matter you know, you're talking about the Guy Mitchells and the Frankie Lanes and Matt Monroe. Uh, even Frank Sinatra said he was one of the greatest singers of all times. Matt Monroe, fabulous singer, fabulous, great singer, but. They just sung. They were depending on their voice, which I never classed myself a singer at those days. I, I, I do now. I, I, I would, uh, what I would do is this, that uh, they'd get up and sing. They had 40 hits and they sung those 40 hits and the people clapped because they heard, they heard their, their famous records by these, by these people. There was one guy I was very disappointed in, but I, I wouldn't like to mention his name because he he, he was a, he was a Irish, right. you know what I mean? And his son is very popular now on the radio, who impressed me among the people I saw. Yeah. Um, Dickie Valentine. Dickie Valentine was my type of act because Dickie done impressions, I did impressions. We had to do impressions. You know what I mean? But Dickie done impressions, I done imp- impressions, and Sammy Davis Jr. did impressions, but Sammy Davis Jr. was the king of impressions, impersonators. They, 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 Dickie Valentine, wow, was, to me, was out of this world. He, 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 if he was doing Mario Lanza, you swear you're looking at Mario Lanza. Mario Lanza was, he was, it, it was great, you know? Um, I met uh, Fats Donimo, and, uh, Terrific. He was terrific. I met Tony Bennett. He was a gentleman. Uh, The biggest, the best story of my life that I'm very proud of, that I had the privilege of driving Eric Clapton to Slane concert and with Paul Brady in the limo. And I learned something that day. We were going to Slane to see the bus. He was on Slane that night. And within the daytime we were travelling down, the traffic was terrible. And next of all, I stopped this policeman and I said, excuse me, sir, guards, I, I have very important people in the car, in the limo, can you do anything for me? And I learned something that day, he says, everybody is important. And he was right, he was right. But we went to the show, came back to Barberstown Castle, went back to Barberstown Castle and uh, Eric Clapton said to me, he said, Daly says, uh, would you stay the night? He says, I might want to get up fishing the next morning at five in the morning. I said, no problem. I see, I'll sort out a room for you. So he sorted out the room, the whole lot. So, and he told me, go in to the restaurant, have what you want. We then had my meal 
And uh, all the locals, when Clapton was there in Barberstown Castle, all the locals went to let, let them see that they were in the castle, you know what I mean, drinking away, you know what I mean. That's the impression I got. You know, but I, I think I was told that by one or two people, that all the locals come when he's in the... So Eric Clapton and uh, Paul Brady was playing their guitars with the resident piano player. And I'm up at the bar, uh, I, 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 I had a, a Coke, I think it was, because I don't drink anymore. I did drink, and thank God I don't anymore. I was up at the bar having a, a Coke, and uh, next of all, the piano player says, ladies and gentlemen, sitting up at the bar, we have a great entertainer. I wonder would he oblige us by coming down to sing a song, you see? So I didn't know who it was, you know what I mean? That's gospel truth. I did not know who it was. So he, he says, ladies and gentlemen, we have... Sir Dale King. I was known in the business as Sir Dale King. So I went down. It was after when I went to bed, I realised that, Jesus, Eric Clapton backed me and Paul Brady backed me, you know what I mean? And they wouldn't let me off the stage and I was singing a good few numbers with them and it was unreal. And that was the greatest thrill of my life that I had the greatest guitar player, one of the greatest guitar players of all times, Eric Clapton. And he he, he, he rang Larry Morden, who's another chauffeur who I was doing the job for, and he told Larry Morden about this. Where'd they get this fella from? <laughs> You know, and Larry broke his heart laughing. Larry Morton even talks about it. He got up and sung. He was great and he was throwing the mic around and all this kind of jazz, you know. But that was the greatest thrill of my life. I used to love uh, Chris Barber. The great, I, I'm into jazz a lot, Chris Barber. When he used to come over, he used to always go and see the likes of Chris Barber. I met Emily Ford at the Checkmates. I worked with Emily in the Checkmates. And I worked with a lot of the big the big stars, you know what I mean? I got the, the chance to, when Sammy Davis was playing in in the uh, in Lansdowne Road, I was offered the job of driving him. But unfortunately, I'm a man to my word, I was, I was booked for other work and I had to turn it down. And of all his records at home, his LPs of... Sammy Davis Jr. And uh, I did go to see the show and see him perform because I had to. He was in my country and I had to see him. And he was out of this world. That was an entertainer for you. That guy entertained. If You know what I mean? He was great. And I won't say I copied him because I think he saw me before I saw him and he must have copied me. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm all joking aside, he was he he was he was my idol. He was my idol. Going back to the days uh, with my dad when I summoned my father, I I I, I remember getting t- uh, five or ten shillings after going down to the country with him. It was big money then. And my father, I said to my dad, "So, dad, how did I do?" He said, "You did great." He says, "But you're not a boy soprano anymore. Before a boy soprano, that's the way you hold your hands. You hold your two hands together, and you hold them up above your waist, and you sung as a boy soprano." Uh, you know, you, I showed them to you in the photographs, so I'm, I like that, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? And uh, I said to me, that, how did I do? He said, you did great, but you're not a boy soprano anymore. He said, so you want to use your hands, you're now a dance band singer. So that's where I went to see, uh, I, I, I came across this guy called Tony Barron, and he sung with a band called Leo Singleton up in the Mayfair in Clondalk, and he was, he was brilliant. You want to hear the songs? He's San Antonio, all those numbers. I'm going back to the 60s, 
70s, you know what I mean? That guy was grilling, and, and that's the guy that I was doing a show, and he was comparing, and he told the audience that he used to go and watch, this fellow used to go and watch me sing, and that was the gospel truth. He used to go and watch him. He was fabulous, and he's still a great singer. I got the opportunity. I, I, I went to Germany, to Hanover, and I sung over there. I got the opportunity to go to the States, and uh, I didn't take it up. I sung in England for Buddy Sugru. I... I sung in Wales, Scotland, the clubs, the whole lot. And I I, I lived in, in England at one stage and I joined a few bands over there. You know, yeah, I always wanted to come back home to my own little town, you know what I mean? The biggest venue I played in England was, um, it was in Shepherd's Bush, the Wellington it was called. It was owned by Buddy Sugro, big, fabulous place. And uh, you go over there and you, you do a week and you do uh, two shows a night. You did one in Wembley and the next, then you go down to Shepherd's Bush and do the other show. But each uh, ex from Ireland came home every week. I'll tell you a lovely, lovely, lovely story. <clears throat> lovely story. Uh, this act, uh, I think the singer was used to sing with Mick Delahunty. Now, Mick Delahunty was one of the biggest orchestras we had in this country that was... Must have been about 20 of them in it. But it was a big orchestra. And uh, Mick Dell had the singer. And of course, the big bands went out because the Beatles brought in their four-piece band. You know what I mean? Guitars and drums. And that was all. That's all that went down. So the big bands went bang overnight, which was a shame and was sad. But uh, Mick Dell, a hunty singer, was singing over in uh, Wembley, doing the same gig as I was doing I did it about two weeks after him and uh, he went in and he started on the Sunday night I think and he went in and done his gig and there'd be a chauffeur outside which I do now <laughs> I had a chauffeur in England and he'd come out he'd be sitting in the car and the minute you finish that gig you go out you sit into the car and boom off to the other gig in, in, in Shepherd's Bush and the poor bugger died snuffed it stared him down and uh, he, he uh, the driver's chauffeur said to him shut the door and he didn't shut the door he said but, well, come on we're going to be late because you had to be timing was an awful thing it was, it was the, the biggest thing then you know, it was all time time work you know but he didn't uh, he didn't shut the door so he dropped dead he was after doing the first show so the owner of the place in, Wem- well, in uh, Wembley rang Shepherd's Bush to Buddy Sugru and Buddy was a character. And Buddy gets up on the stage and he says, Ladies and gentlemen, there'll be no cabaret tonight. That's the way Buddy spoke. There'll be no cabaret tonight, he says. The actor's after dying. And wasn't his wife and family in the front row and the whole lot of them. And it was very, very, very sad. But Joe Cal, a guy called Joe Cal, was the promoter in Ireland. So Buddy gets on the phone and rings Joe Cal. And he says... This is a true story, you know. And he says to Joe, uh, Hello, Joe, buddy here. That act is after dying. And we have a saying in the business, you know what I mean? How'd you do tonight, Janie? I went to bomb or Christ, I died on my backside. You know what I mean? And that's a saying in show business, you know. So uh, Joe and Joe, say, uh, Joe says to him, uh, what can I do? Will you let him carry on for the week? I can do nothing now. What will you get you can act now? And the poor act, poor guy was after dropping dead. That was that was very very sad, but everything happened over there. Every week there was different stories. You know what I mean? 
different stories. Carl Phillips was very popular over there. Etna Dunn, the blonde bombshell. She was great. She, uh, poor old Etna's not well at the moment. She's uh, she's not well. She's very, very sick. And I wish her the best because she was, she was unreal. She was in the... In the the O'Sullivan and uh, Ray productions, you know what I mean? We were all pals in it, you know? And Aidan was was her manager. But um, that was that was just kind of in a nutshell, you know what I mean? I, I played the Palladium. I did the Palladium. Did you? I did the Palladium. Yeah, I did it once. Uh, it's in Rush. Yeah. Can you remember any of the gags that you used to tell on stage? That was an old gag. This is a beauty. This is a beauty. This, this fella uh, goes into the pub and he says to the barman, he says, will you give us a pint of Guinness? The barman gives him a pint of Guinness and, uh, see, that'll be 4p. Oh, so he said nothing, gave him the 4p. This was the old money then, you know what I mean? So next of all, uh, he comes up again, saying, will you give us another pint of Guinness, please? barman gave him another pint of Guinness, so that'll be another 4p. See, how much is gin and tonic? See, 8p. See, what's the story, he says. Uh, your drink is so so cheap. I see we're 50 years open today and we're going back to the old money. See, how is it there's no one here? <laughs> I have to excuse me for laughing because I know the end of the joke. <laughs> he says, they're all waiting for happy hour. 